Esther chapter 8. The same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate that he gave the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling on at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. And then the king extended the golden scepter to Esther, and she arose and stood before him. If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favour and thinks it is the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, devised and wrote to destroy the Jews and all the king's provinces. How can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther, and they have hanged him on the gallows. Now write another decree in the king's name on behalf of the Jews, as seems best to you, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. At once the royal secretaries were summoned, and the 20, on the 23rd day of the third month, the month of Sivan, they wrote all out all Mordecai's orders to the Jews and to the satraps, the governors and the nobles of the 127 provinces, provinces stretching from India to Kush. These orders were written in the script of each province and the language of each people and also to the Jews and their script and language. Mordecai wrote in the same, Mordecai wrote in the same of King Xerxes sealed and dispatches with, with the king's signet ring and sent them by mounted couriers who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and to protect themselves and to destroy, kill and annihilate the armed forces of any nationality or province that might attack them and their women and children and to plunder the property of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces of King Xerxes was that 17th day of the 12th month, the, the month of Adar. <clears throat> A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so that the Jews would be ready on the day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers riding the royal horses raced out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was also issued in the citadel of Susa. Mordecai left the king's presence wearing royal garments of blue and white a large crown of gold and a purple robe of fine linen. And the city of Susa held a joyous celebration. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy and gladness and honour. In every province, in every city, wherever the edict of the king went, there was joy, gladness among the Jews, with feasting and celebrating. 
And many people of other nationalities became Jews because of fear of the Jews had seized them. Please leave your Bibles open there at Esther chapter 8. Let's come before the Lord in prayer and ask him to guide us as we reflect on these words. Father God, we pray now as we reflect on your sovereign hand at work through the lives of Esther and Mordecai and your people living in Susa. We pray now that you would open our eyes to see what you have for us this morning. That as we reflect on your sovereign hand at work, saving your people, we would be reminded of what you have done for us through your son. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A man named Ira Sankey was travelling by steamboat, that tells you how long ago this was, in 1875, around Christmas Eve. Ira had led music for D.L. Moody's famous evangelistic meetings. And while he was on that steamboat, some of the other passengers recognised him and they asked him to sing. Sankey happily agreed and began to sing the old hymn, Saviour, Like a Shepherd, Lead Us. After he'd, been, after he'd sung the song, one of the listeners stepped forward and had a chat with him, and he asked him this question. Did you serve in the Union Army? Well, Sankey said, yes. Then the man said, can you remember if you were doing picket duty on a bright moonlit night in 1862? The listener replied, uh, sorry, the Sankey replied, yes. Then the man told his story. He said, I was serving in the Confederate Army. When I, when I saw you standing at your post, I raised my gun and I took aim. I was standing in the shadow, completely concealed, while the full light of the moon was shining upon you. Suddenly, you raised your eyes to heaven and to be began to sing that very song. I said to myself, I can shoot him afterwards. I heard the words perfectly. He said, we are thine. Do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. As he heard those words, he said, he began to think of his childhood and of his God-fearing mother who sang that song to him. When you'd finished, he said, it was impossible for me to take aim again. I thought the Lord who is able to save that man from certain death must surely be great and mighty. When we face seemingly insurmountable difficulties, when our troubles seem far greater than any solution we have to offer, it's easy to forget that we are safe in the great and mighty arms of our Saviour. And that's because we often only see the problem that is in front of us and we forget that we are in a spiritual battle. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
Sometimes our earthly troubles seem so real, so burdensome. And we can forget that this unseen battle is going on around us. As we look at Esther chapter 8 this morning, Esther and Mordecai and all of the Jews have a very real, a very tangible problem. They were facing a decree that condemned them to death. But despite what looked like, and I imagine felt like, hopeless circumstances, none of this had escaped God's attention. And none of this was out of God's control. And so even with this decree hanging over their heads as they stood condemned to death, even then they were safe in the great and mighty arms of their Saviour. Because despite their perilous circumstances, God was working all things together for their good and for his glory. As we read through Chester, chapter 8, sorry, Esther chapter 8, we can see a lot of things have changed since chapter 4. Previously, Mordecai was, in, back in chapter 4, he was sitting in dust and ashes. He was wailing and mourning this decree to have all of the Jews killed on a single day. Back then, Haman, evil Haman, was second in charge only to the king. But by the time we get to chapter 8, Esther had now found approval with the king. She was his loved queen, or at least treasured queen. Haman had been executed on the very gallows that he'd had erected for Mordecai. And Mordecai, well, he'd been honoured in front of all of the people in Susa. He'd been placed in charge of Haman's estate, and now... Well, now he had taken Haman's place as the second most powerful man in the kingdom. A lot had changed for Esther and Mordecai and the Jews since chapter 4. But despite all of these things, the decree still remained to have all of the Jews killed on a single day. It was still in place. And this decree had been sealed by the king's own signet ring which meant that it was a decree that could not be undone, not even by the king himself. Esther and Mordecai were now experiencing wonderful blessings in the short term. God was doing amazing and unexpected things. But despite all of the good that had come their way, this decree was still hanging over their heads. And so trusting that she was safe in the great and mighty arms of her saviour, Esther once again found herself going before the king. By law of the land, she wasn't allowed to go before the king. Unless the king held out his scepter, she was to be killed. And thankfully, again, he held out that scepter for Esther. Back in chapter 3, we were given a glimpse of how little Xerxes cared about the fate of the Jews. Back then, Haman had written a decree to destroy an entire people group within Xerxes' kingdom, and he couldn't care less. He didn't ask which people they were, and he didn't ask why Haman was doing this. All he said was, do with the people as you please. 
in chapter 7, Xerxes was furious about Haman's decree, but not because it threatened the lives of all of these people. He was upset because it threatened the life of his queen. And in doing so, it threatened his authority to be able to save his own queen. It had inadvertently challenged his authority. And that's why we're told at the end of Esther chapter 7, that after Haman was hung on those gallows, the king's fury subsided. He couldn't care less about the Jews. The Jews were still condemned to death by Haman's decree. But now the king's authority had been restored. He had dealt with Haman. The king's mind was at ease. And so as Esther comes before this king, she's doing so not on the basis of his great feelings about human rights. She's doing so hoping that as the queen, she might win him over, that she, he might care more about her than he does about these people. And so she went before the king and said, if it pleases the king, and if he regards me with favour and thinks it the right thing to do, and if it pleases, if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? Now, it seems like this is a pretty easy decision for the king to make. He'd already punished Haman. He'd already restored his own authority and honour. And it meant a lot to the, the queen, even though he didn't care about the Jews. It meant a lot to his queen. So he gave the order to have Esther write a new decree, knowing that the first decree could not be undone. first decree was one that brought death. Now they would write a decree that would bring life, one that would give God's people hope instead of condemning them to death. With great urgency, all of the royal secretaries were assembled. By this time, of course, Mordecai was second in charge only to the king, so he was the one who oversee, oversaw the writing of this decree. King's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate any armed force or any nationality or province that might attack them or, and their women and children and to plunder their properties of their enemies. This new decree gave the Jews the right to defend themselves, to protect themselves and their families. This decree wasn't about vengeance. It was about protecting God's people. And they were given the right to do this on the 13th day of the 12th month of Adar, which is the same day that Haman's decree was to take place. And as the first decree went out urgently all throughout the kingdom, 
and was issued in the citadel of Susa, so was this second decree. This was an incredible reversal of everything that had happened back in chapter 3. Back then, Haman was second in charge only to the king. Haman had written this decree to have all of the Jews killed on a single day. And that had caused incredible mourning throughout all of the provinces and especially in Susa. But now this far greater decree had been written, the one that Mordecai had overseen. People were joyously celebrating. We're told it was a time of happiness and joy and gladness and honour. We're even being given a picture of Mordecai triumphantly leaving the king's presence, dressed in blue and white, wearing a gold crown. It doesn't get much flashier than that, does it? A gold crown with purple linen. This is an incredible reversal of the destruction that Haman had attempted to bring upon God's people. And it was such a big turnaround that people from other nations well, they developed a fear of God's people because of how amazing God had saved his people. They were safe because the decree that had been written could not be undone. A decree that was guaranteeing their safety. They could now defend themselves. It was an incredible reversal just like the one that we have through Jesus. Those who hope in the Lord are also safe in the great and mighty arms of our Saviour, regardless of how hopeless our circumstances appear. And we are safe because our Saviour has written a decree that cannot be undone, a decree guaranteeing freedom from condemnation, and eternal life for all who trust in him. Esther, Mordecai, and the Jews in Susa had done nothing to deserve this decree of death coming against them. But we have all defied the king of kings' law, his decree to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength. We have all rebelled against the king of kings' authority. We have all chosen to do what we want instead of his will. Because of that, we were all once condemned by God's first decree, God's law. God's first decree, the law, well, it was always meant to show us that we could not be good enough, that we could not live up to God's perfect standards, that we need his mercy. It was always meant to drive us to call on him for grace. We don't serve a king like Xerxes, one that couldn't care less about what happens to his people as long as he lived in incredible luxury. We serve the king of kings who because of his great love for us, established a new decree, one that is not based on our ability to live up to his perfect standard. 
that's based on his own sacrificial death in our place. One that was sealed not with a little signet ring, not with a little symbol, but was sealed with his blood. The reversal of what we see going on here in Esther chapter 8 is incredible. It's far beyond anybody's expectations, any of those who are living there at that time. But compared to the reversal that the King of Kings has made possible through his blood, these verses seem almost insignificant. But even so, even back then, even as God delivered Esther, Mordecai, and those Jews from the battle, the spiritual battle that was going on around them, he was doing that so that he could fulfill his promise of a new and a better decree for his people. No matter what we're worrying about this morning, no matter how hard the circumstances that we are facing, we are safe in the great and mighty arms of our Saviour. Because the eternal destiny of those who trust in Jesus is sealed by a far greater decree and signed in our Saviour's blood. It's a decree guaranteeing the eternal inheritance of all who trust in him as sons and daughters of the living God. Yes, we'll go through hardships and sufferings in this life. Yet even though those times of suffering will take place, God is not absent. He is not unaware. But rather, he is working through all of the circumstances of our lives, whether they be good or hard, even when it's really hard for us to see, as he allows us to go through those hard times, to refine us, to make us more like Jesus. Because our struggle in this life is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we won't always see how often the King of Kings has delivered us from the evil one. We won't always understand why we are going through those difficult things. But because our King, the King of Kings, has delivered us from the decree that condemned us to eternal death and separation from Him by the far greater decree that promises life for all who trust in Him through Christ's death in our place. Well, we have been delivered from the fear of death, and we have a concrete way. We have seen God's life, a concrete way of knowing that we can be certain that in those hard times, we are safe in the great and mighty arms of our Saviour. Let's pray. Father God, when we are facing times that cause us to despair, circumstances that are so far beyond our control, we can't even get our head around them. When we experience sickness, the loss of loved ones and all sorts of hardships in this life, Lord, it can be hard for us to see how 
you are working all things for the good of those who love you. But Lord, this morning, as we reflect on your mercy, as we reflect on the greater decree that was so costly for you, but so amazingly uh, joyous for us, Lord, we pray that you would help us to look to the cross and be reminded of your faithfulness and of the decree of life forever for those who trust in you, those sealed by your blood, shed in our place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.